0: Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues.
1: Today is American History Day. We're interviewing one of my favorite Christian historians, Bill Federer, is joining us live in the studio. He's written 20 books and you do not want to miss the lessons we're gonna learn today. Stay tuned.
0: Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps.
1: God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. Today we have a special treat in store. One of my dear friends, Bill Federer, who's been on this show a couple of times, we caught up with him at NRB, but now he's live in our Colorado studio, author of 20 books on history, and especially American history from a Christian perspective. Talks a lot about the faith of our founding fathers. Welcome to the program, Bill Federer.
2: Well, great to be with you, chaps.
1: So, uh, your website is AmericanMinute.com. I first became aware of you years ago when you did an interview, I think, on uh, D. James Kennedy's program, Defending Military Chaplains. Do you remember that interview?
2: I do, I do, and I thank you for being a hero and standing up for Jesus' name in the military, and I think that the values uh, are being challenged in a very serious way, and it's gonna take everybody responding to preserve this great country.
1: Well, it is, and before we get into uh, one of the, the first book I'm gonna talk about today, we're gonna to do like three different books on this show, and then we'll have part two tomorrow, three more of the books that you've written. Uh, talk a little bit about America's God and Country, the the quotations in here, and maybe you can talk about George Washington and the first chaplains.
2: Well, the very first book that I wrote is called America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations. I spent about four years back in the early 1990s researching the uh, addresses of the presidents. I actually was teaching a class, and I saw where there were some references to God and our country's history. Right, We have God in the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, our coins, one nation, you know, in God we trust. And so I went to a library and couldn't find a book, went to another library, couldn't find a book. So I eventually spent four years researching at major university libraries, even the Library of Congress, reading through all the acts of Congress that refer to religion, uh, the treaties with the Indians that Thomas Jefferson approved to support missionaries, Uh, The treaties that ended uh, the war with Mexico in 1848, that starts off in the name of Almighty God. Of course, the treaty that ended the Revolution, the Treaty of Paris, starts off in the name of the Most Holy and Undivided Trinity. And then I decided to read through all of the colonial charters and found something interesting. Every charter not only mentioned God and mentioned Christianity, but it mentioned particular denominations of Christianity.
1: So the Founding Fathers and the 13 original colonies, they wanted religious freedom for their colony, which was different among each of the 13.
2: Right, when the Muslims invaded Europe and surrounded Vienna, Austria in 1529, Suleiman the Magnificent was the Muslim Sultan. He dominated the Mediterranean. They raided the coast of Italy and Spain and Portugal, carried thousands away into slavery in North Africa. Matter of fact, there were entire Catholic orders during the Middle Ages called the Trinitarians. The head of the order was called the Ransomer. And they would collect alms and donations across Europe and go to North Africa to try to ransom your friend back. Uh, Like Miguel de Cervantes was ransomed back and went back to Spain and wrote Don Quixote, Man of La Mancha. Anyway, Martin Luther has started the Reformation 12 years earlier in 1517. 1529, 100,000 Muslims surround Vienna, Austria. And the Holy Roman Emperor, was named Charles V of Spain, and he was the most powerful leader in the Western world. Spain controlled the Spanish Netherlands and Portugal and Italy, captured the Pope uh, and all the, the New World uh, claimed for a century, you know, and then the Philippines, named after King Philip of Spain, and the sun never set on the Spanish Empire. So from Charles V of Spain's perspective, he had a double dilemma on his hands. The Muslim invasion on one hand and the Protestant Reformation on the other hand. And so Charles V decides to strike a deal with the Lutheran Protestant princes in the year 1555. It's called the Peace of Augsburg. And it has a little Latin phrase that made a big difference. Curios regio eus religio. So whose is the reign, his uh, religion. And this allowed different kings to believe different things. And so as the centuries went on, you had Germany being Lutheran, Sweden Lutheran, and Switzerland Calvinist, and Holland Dutch reformed, and uh, Scotland Presbyterian, England Anglican, and of course, Germany, um, Southern Germany, and Austria and Poland remain Roman Catholic. And if you didn't believe the way your king did, you were persecuted and you fled. And so in the 1600s, there was this mass migration of people shifting around Europe for conscience sake. Those were the ones that spilled over and founded colonies in America. And so every colony was founded by a different Christian denomination.
1: So every European country had their own religious set of beliefs. If you didn't like it in Germany, you could move to Spain, etc. And then when they sent, you know, explorers to America to to set up their colonies. You know, every different colony represented a different class of migrants from different countries, from different religions.
2: Right, Spain had a monopoly on the New World for almost 100 years until the Spanish Armada was sunk. And uh, the, uh, Spain lost its, and so it was like an Oklahoma land rush, these other countries decided to hurry up and settle colonies. And so, Virginia was Anglican, Massachusetts was Puritan, Rhode Island was Baptist, New York was Dutch Reformed. Delaware and New Jersey were originally Swedish Lutheran. Maryland was founded by Lord Baltimore of Ireland. He was a Catholic. Uh, Connecticut and New Hampshire were Congregationalists. Pennsylvania was founded by Quakers. And guess what? They did not get along. And they would chase each other out of each other's colonies. But then they had to work together against the King of England and, uh, after the revolution, their attitude was, We may not agree on religion all the time, but you are willing to fight and die for my freedom. I need to let you practice your faith. And that's when they began to tolerate each other. And so I began to go through all of the historical documents and put it in here. I actually read through every state constitution and every amendment to every state constitution. It's interesting, between 1776 and 1790, nine state constitutions required you to be a Protestant Christian to hold state office. Uh, I mean, even South Carolina, the Christian Protestant religion is hereby deemed the established religion of the state. It's like, you can't get any more clearer than that. I think, I thought there was a first amendment, right? The first amendment was to keep the federal government's hands tied so they wouldn't interfere in state business and in church business. Uh, so they would not prohibit the free exercise thereof. And so then we see uh, three states were a little more liberal. Pennsylvania, signed by Ben Franklin, that constitution said all you had to do was believe in the divine inspiration of the Old and New Testament. Delaware said all you had to do was believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, And Maryland said all you had to do was be a Christian to hold state office. We think of that as narrow-minded today. They thought thought that was generous because by saying Christian, you could be any denomination of Protestant and even Catholic. Catholic In Maryland, right. Yeah. And then... um, The most liberal state was the most evangelical state, Rhode Island, founded by Baptists. They had zero religious requirements to hold office. They thought that if you required someone to be a Christian to hold office, they could say they were, even if they weren't, just to get elected, and that would be hypocritical. I mean, could you imagine someone saying they're Christian just to get elected? Hmm. Anyway, um, so um, in 1776 to 1790, 98% of America was Protestant Christian. Originally, Catholics were only allowed in three states. They were New York, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, and they didn't have full rights in those. And there's only 1,500 Jews in the entire country, seven synagogues right, in a country of three million. So it was a 100% Judeo-Christian country. And um, anyway, uh, as time went on, there was an Irish potato famine, millions of Irish Catholics came across. There was a persecution of Jews in Bavaria, a quarter of a million Jews came across. And so these states would expand religious freedom and tolerance at their own speed sort of like a racetrack with 13 lanes. You had Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, Maryland out in front, and Connecticut, New Hampshire dragging behind. Finally, the 14th Amendment was passed in 1868, and this was the beginning of the federal government taking rights away from the states.
1: So everything changed. Last question before we hit the break, uh, and it's along those lines. For example, today, the state constitution, I think of Alabama, has a requirement that, uh, or maybe it's Tennessee, that you must believe in God in order to hold, public office at a state level, but that's not true at the federal level. The federal constitution says no religious litmus test. Can you distinguish, and what happened with the 14th Amendment?
2: Right, the 14th Amendment is the southern, Lincoln Republican freed the slaves. Democrats in the deep south passed Jim Crow laws and black codes which relegated the freed slaves to a second class status. And so John Bingham, a Republican congressman from Ohio, pushes through the 14th Amendment to force the states to give rights to the freed slaves. But some of the activist judges began to say, gee, maybe we can use this 14th Amendment to intermeddle into other things that are under the state's jurisdiction. Uh, like when the unions would strike and the state would say, you can't strike. Well, then the federal government would come in and say, okay, you can strike. And when farmers wanted to feed their hay to their cows, the federal government would use the 14th amendment saying, you can't feed your hay to your cows because it will affect the uh, interstate price of hay. And, and then you finally had the Jehovah's Witnesses saying, uh, don't pledge allegiance to the flag and states would stop them from knocking on doors saying it's a public nuisance. The federal government would say, no, no, no they get to continue doing that. But finally in 1947, Some Catholic students were getting bus rides to schools and some states stopped it. The federal government used the 14th Amendment to say, no, the bus rides can continue, but now the federal government's gonna sort of be in charge of religion. And um, that's when the change happened. 1957, the Washington Ethical Society wanted tax-exempt status. The IRS said, you're an ethical society. You're not religious. You don't get 501c3 status. They sue. The Supreme Court said ethical culture is a religion. 1960, a uh, person named Torcaso wanted to be a notary in Maryland, but he did not want to say, so help me God, at the end of his oath. Maryland said, you can't be a notary. He sues, goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says that secular humanism is a religion. He gets to be a notary.
1: So now even atheism is a religion. Right.
2: 1970, a draft dodger during the Vietnam War named Elliot Welsh wanted to claim religious conscientious objector status as an atheist. And the um, Army said, no, you're going, he sues. And the Supreme Court said, when someone holds beliefs with the same conviction as those who believe in a traditional deity, to that person, those beliefs constitute their religion. And so now the Supreme Court is saying atheism is a religion and not to prefer one over the other, they kick God out. So you have this ironic situation that everybody's tolerated in America, except the Christians that founded the country.
1: Good start. We're gonna take a short break and when we come back, we're gonna have part two of our interview with Bill Federer. He'll go on to another one of the books that he's written. Isn't this exciting? I'm already learning a lot. We'll be right back after this short break.
2: Discerning the spirits that rule our politicians, Dr. Chaps will be right back.
1: Do you care about defending religious liberty? I know you do. And that's why I'm asking you to take action today. Don't just sit there, but do something. Visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org and sign a petition that we'll fax to Congress on your behalf. In fact, There are three specific petitions I want you to sign to defend military chaplains who are under fire. The first is to support HR 343. This is a bill introduced in Congress by my friend, Congressman Walter Jones of North Carolina, to protect free speech for military chaplains who are sometimes punished if they use the word Jesus in their prayers. Well, if you know my story, you know that I was punished in 2006 Uh, even at court martial, because I used the word Jesus in my prayers in uniform in front of the White House. I was later vindicated by Congress who said it's okay for me to do that, but did you know 65 other chaplains are now suing the Navy? I was not the only person. Our second petition I want you to sign is to protect military chapel buildings, which are being desecrated. Christian altars, Catholic or Protestant, are being desecrated by homosexual wedding ceremonies in all 50 states under this order by the Obama administration. Well, that deprives all of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines of a sacred worship space which ought to be protected. And Instead, they're gonna punish the chaplain if he won't turn over the keys to his chapel. Here's another petition I want you to sign, and this is to stop threatening court-martial for troops who talk about Jesus. Even recently, the Pentagon is saying, oh, we're gonna threaten you with a uh, crime of proselytizing. No, that's not right. Any soldier ought to be able to talk about his or her faith in Jesus Christ and to have that same religious freedom of speech that we sacrifice to give for others. When you sign these petitions, we will fax them to Congress and it's free. I want you to take action today. Sign these three important petitions at PrayInJesusName.org, go there today.
0: Defending your religious freedom, here is Dr. Chaps.
1: Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. I'm joined again by Bill Federer, author of over 20 Christian history books, including, uh, welcome back, Bill. You were just talking to us about the founding fathers and how uh, the 14th Amendment changed American history and now they're basically throwing out Christianity, like the baby with the bathwater. And this book, you sort of address that. Your second book that we're gonna talk about is called Backfired. Can you give us the, the background of why you wrote this book?
2: Well, again, we're seeing that Christians are being told that they're intolerant and that uh, they're narrow-minded, and I have to remind people, Christians are the ones that came up with the idea of tolerance, right? Tolerance didn't start with atheism like in the former Soviet Union or in North Korea, where if you happen to be a Christian, you're thrown in a labor camp. Uh, Tolerance didn't start with Islam, where today the ISIS and ISIL are driving out the Christians, right, because they don't tolerate them. What happened was that different colonies were started by different Christian denominations. They didn't get along, but they had to work together against the King of England. After the revolution, their attitude is, even though we don't agree on religion, you are willing to fight and die for my freedom. I need to let you practice your faith. So that's when they began to tolerate each other. First Protestants, then Catholics, then Jews, then liberal Christians. Finally, anybody that's a monotheist, finally went out to the atheists and the last ones in the boat decided it was too crowded and they decided to push the first ones out. So everybody's tolerated in America except the Christians who found the country. You know, I found it interesting that um, when you go back and read the Connecticut and Massachusetts blue laws, they actually had scripture verses after the law. You had in Yale and Harvard, they taught Hebrew. Uh, I mean, the focus was on the Bible so strong at the beginning of the country. Uh, Then, I read through all the messages and papers of the presidents, right, and so you have presidents calling for days of prayer, days of fasting. There is such a rich history of faith that it's a fairly recent phenomenon to see faith being kicked out. Democrat President Franklin Roosevelt passed out Gideon's New Testaments and Book of Psalms to all the soldiers in World War II. He wrote the foreword, As Commander-in-Chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces. So we have this heritage, but we're seeing that uh, there's a polarity change. And we're seeing that those at the top that don't want faith are turning it and wanting to drive it out. And because we don't know our history, we're assuming that, gee, maybe they never were. Maybe they were all enlightenment type people. But
1: that's that's something that you mentioned uh, back in 2005, when I first saw you on the D. James Kennedy program, because I was a chaplain in the Navy. And the Mm -hmm. atheist complainers or some of the anti-Christian complainers, including some senior chaplains who claim to be Christians, they were telling me, don't pray in Jesus' name. And we've seen lawsuits about that topic over the years. And that's an example of, you know, the Christians have been tolerant of everybody else's religion, but now they're being intolerant of us.
2: Well, um, and by the way, my website's AmericanMinute.com and I send out a a free daily email that I go through these different points. I, I sort of bring up, could you imagine a high priest in the Old Testament having the audacity to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, without the blood of the Lamb? I mean, that would be pretty audacious of him, right? And so, for a Christian, the thought is that we, in our righteousness, are sinners, and there's no way that we could approach a holy God. But Jesus is our Lamb. He's the Lamb of God that paid for our sins, and that when we approach the Almighty Creator, we're not approaching Him in our righteousness, but we're bringing the blood of the Lamb. And so you're, when you say, we don't want you to pray in Jesus, name, it's like that's like telling the high priest, well, we want you to come into the temple and address God, but, but don't bring the blood of the Lamb.
1: Or to tell a Muslim he can't pray to Allah, or a Catholic he can't pray to Mary. Uh, I mean, there's, everyone ought to be able to take turns and exercise their own beliefs.
2: And, and so in America, we have this history of faith. And, um, and so I've documented it in these books. Um, I liken it to... Uh, a lifeboat per- piloted by puritans and they have, are in a sea of persecution and they first pull into the boat their fellow puritans and that was the great migration when you know a fifth of the wealth of england went over and founded massachusetts and, all. and then they pull into the boat their fellow protestants and then they pull in Catholics, especially after the Irish potato famine, millions of Irish Catholics came to America. And then they pull in Jews, and then they pull in anybody that believed in God, and they finally pulled in uh, the atheists, and the atheist says, this boat's too crowded, and they push out the Christians that started the whole thing off.
1: <laughs> we're gonna take a short break. Uh, Bill's second book we just talked about is Backfired. It talks about these concepts, and when we come back, we're gonna have another short segment about a third book This is Bill Federer. Again, his website is AmericanMinute.com. I get his daily email alerts. You should go there, AmericanMinute.com. We'll be right back.
0: Making your voice heard in our nation's capital, Dr. Chaps will be right back.
1: As a Christian minister, I believe the Bible, and I believe in spiritual gifts. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, that the gift of discerning of spirits is available to you the ability to see angels or demons or the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've written two amazing books that I want you to have today. And you can visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org to get either one of these resources. The first is my PhD dissertation on this particular topic. It's called, How to See the Holy Spirit and Angels and Demons, Ignatius of Loyola on the Gift of Discerning of Spirits in Church Ethics. If you want an exciting theology book, that's challenging and intellectual, that goes into the classic theology of Ignatius of Loyola, how he was influenced by men like John Cashin and Thomas Akempis, how he influenced later theologians like Karl Rahner and Timothy Gallagher, then you will love this resource. Maybe for your pastor, or if you're a counselor, or a serious Bible student, this is a theology book and you're gonna love it. Or maybe you want something more fun. I've also written a different book, which is more of a popular book, Uh, It's called The Demons of Barack Obama, and it applies my theology of discerning the spirits to the 44th president of the United States. I used an article written by my friend David Barton on 50 events in his presidency, and I tried to discover, is he being influenced by the Holy Spirit, or by angels, or by maybe some other spirits? What is behind the president? So if you want a popular book that's fun to read, it's available for $20, or if you want an academic book, that could be used for serious Bible students. It's available for $35. Or maybe you want both of these. They're both available for $50. A donation of any amount will go towards sending these books to you. Visit PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org and get both of these resources for your family. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps, you're watching PIJN News. We're studying American history today and the Founding Fathers, and I'm joined again by historian Bill Federer. Welcome back, Bill.
2: Great to be with you, Dr. Chaps.
1: So uh, this third book that we're gonna talk about here is entitled Three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God. Now. I'm a theologian. I can come up with all kinds of religious or biblical reasons America should be under God. What do you mean secular reasons?
2: Well, I was debating an atheist and she said, I don't want America under God. And I asked her a question. I said, do you like having rights the government cannot take away? And she said, well, yeah. I said, then those rights need to come to you from a power higher than the government. That's why the Founder said all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Even John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural address, said the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Well, guess what? If there is no God, the rights come from the generosity of the state. And what the state giveth, the state can taketh awayeth. And so if you want to have rights that the government cannot take away, you've got to claim that you have a source for those rights higher than the government higher than the general consensus of society, right? Because society can change its consensus and take away those rights. And so the founder said that there has to be a creator that gave you those rights.
1: Doesn't that date back maybe to the Magna Carta and, and before America, some of these ideas that kings didn't have all the power, they had to come from God.
2: Right, so is it God, king, and then he dispenses the rights to the people, or is it God straight to the people, and then the people choose their leaders from amongst themselves? We obviously in America chose the second. The second question I ask in the book is, do you like being equal? And this atheist said, well, yeah. I said, well, where did the concept of equality come from? It didn't come from Islam, because if you're a woman, you're not equal to a man. If you're a kafir infidel, you're not equal to a believing Muslim. I said, if you live in a India caste system and you just happen to be born in the lowest caste as an untouchable Dalit, uh, you're not equal to a Brahmin. You can, you know, all, all your life, you're." Designated to take care of the garbage Uh, no matter how good of a job you do. You can never graduate and become a Brahmin The quality did not originate there It didn't originate in the former Soviet Union where your worth is dependent on your utility If you are useful to the state and useful to society you're worth more if you're not useful to society You're worth less well in America You're equal not because you're a Muslim male or you're a Brahmin in the highest caste or you're useful to society Why are you equal well? Democrat President S. Truman, in his inaugural address, said, We believe all men are created equal because we're created in the image of God. Question, what belief system believes you're made in the image of God? Well, Jews and Christians, Book of Genesis, in the image of God, he created a male and female. In Islam, Allah has no image. He's transcendent and unknowable. You know, in Hinduism, there's, you know, millions of different gods. So sort of pick which one you're in the image of, right? And in atheism, there is no God. So the idea is that you are equal because you're made in the image of God, that goes back to the Bible.
1: Well, and look what happens, for example, in, in Soviet Russia or in communist China, when they overthrow the Orthodox Church or they overthrow the, the Christian revival throughout you know, Shanghai or different places. Uh, they establish atheism, and then what happens to the rights of the people? They're back to the dictators in charge.
2: Right, it's interesting that communism is nothing more than dictatorship. So every communist country has a dictator. He's a king, right? Stalin, Pol Pot, Ho Chi Minh, Castro, Mao Zedong. And then the communist party members are the new royalty. They get to live in the nice houses. They get special shops to shop in, special treatment before the law. And then the people are the peasants. Their fate's determined by the state. And so all this ideological talk on college campuses, oh, co- communism, everybody's equal. It's like, no, unfortunately, communism is just a remake over of dictatorship.
1: We've got about one minute left. What's the third reason, that secular reason America should be under God?
2: Well, you gotta get the book to find out. No. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: do you like a country with a lot of laws or few laws? Well, everybody would rather have few laws. Well, to to have order in society with few external laws, the population needs more internal laws. And so John Adams, the second president, said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate for the government of any other. In other words, our government was designed to govern people who could govern themselves. I liken it to a parent that gives the teenager the car keys and says, look, if you do what's right, you have lots of freedom, you can come home whenever. But if you don't do it right, drink, drive, party, you're gonna be pulled over by the police and controlled behind bars. You're going to be controlled, either voluntarily from the inside or forcibly from the outside. With a country, you're either gonna have morals and values which are only effective if there's a God watching gonna hold you eternally accountable, or uh, you're gonna to have to have a, a totalitarian government.
1: Thank you, Bill, and thank you for these books. Uh, Our guest has been Bill Federer, AmericanMinute.com is his website. We're gonna have him on again tomorrow. Don't worry, if you didn't get enough, I didn't either. Uh, But we do need to take a break and ask you if you can please support PrayInJesusName.org. Our website is PrayInJesusName.org. Please donate to help us bring you exclusive interviews. You know, this past month we've had uh, Senator Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Senator Jim DeMint, Ralph Reed, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, hopefully in Well, I don't want to reveal who's coming up, and you're going to be really excited about an interview we're going to have next month. But Bill Federer has been our guest. Please donate today or call our prayer line, 866-Obey-God. Again, that's 866-Obey-God. If you have a prayer request, I want you to call me. I will try to return your calls. Until next time, I'm Dr. Chaps. Thank you for watching PIJN News.